And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. Today is Saturday, February 12th. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, Mitchell Schwartz. Mitch, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing great. We are recording this a little bit earlier in the week. I'm still at Radio Row. A lot of craziness happening. There were so many things on the feed this week and just so many people that we wanted to talk to that we felt like we would move this show to Saturday. So if you guys are listening to this on the weekend, obviously the game is creeping closer and closer. But we wanted to give you guys something, a little bit of something pretty much every single day. So we're going to answer your questions today instead of earlier in the week. And appreciate you guys sending them in. Appreciate you sending them in the Super Bowl specific questions, getting to some of this stuff. Because obviously we have someone who has played in a Super Bowl. <laughs> and it's a unique resource to be able to tap into at this point in the calendar. So Mitch, let's get to our first one here. Ben Reznikoff asks, outside of the game specifically, what is something that was most surprising or unexpected about the Super Bowl experience? A cliche that players say is that they're just trying to take it all in. But what is actually something that was worth taking in or something that was just unique that stood out as you were preparing for the lead up to the Super Bowl? The thing that stood out from the player's perspective is how boring and monotonous it got, at least the way <laughs> at least the way we did it with the Chiefs. And I guess kind of the way we did it is the first week, the bye, quote unquote bye week, we almost made that like a quasi game week. So we had meetings, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We had practices Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Now they weren't you know, fully padded practices like you normally would and they weren't uh, as, as difficult as normal, but the rationale being once you get to the Super Bowl, things get kind of crazy. There's a bunch of media stuff. Like the schedule is just different. You can't have your normal schedule because, you know, you fly in that Monday night is the big media event. And so you've got to be on your feet and doing that for a couple hours. 
every morning there's an hour of media availability. I mean, this is pre-COVID, so this is the way it used to be. Um, yeah, this is not how it is anymore, but no, that's how it used to be. No. It used to be amazing. Yeah, so essentially we had like two game plan weeks. We had a game plan week in Kansas City, and then once we showed up, we had as similar to a normal week as possible working around our obligations. And it's just like by the ninth time you're watching the San Francisco blitz tape and you're just seeing them destroy teams, it's like, I got it. Bose is good. Armstead's good. Buckner's good. Like, we got it. But it's like it's it's the same meetings. It's the same film. It's the same everything. And we actually were lucky we had uh, Wisnowski or Wisniewski on our offensive line. And he had played with Philly like a year or two before. And he told us, and um, our offensive line coach, Coach Heck, was smart enough to ask him, like, hey, do you have any advice for the upcoming couple of weeks? And his thing was like, it's going to get boring. Like, make sure that you don't get bored. Make sure you're paying attention to meetings. You're taking notes, all those things. And sure enough, uh, he was correct about that. And so th- that's one thing that I definitely remember. Just the same film over and over and over. But in terms of being there that week, the obligations and stuff, I didn't think it was that bad. I know people talk about, oh, it's so crazy. You got to do media here and this and that. Um you know, essentially you're adding like one night that Monday night, which I thought was cool. It's cool to, you know, go to a facility and have a bunch of people come around, ask you random questions. I think that was kind of fun. And then, you know, we're used to media obligations anyway. So just taking 30 minutes or an hour in the morning, I think we got the better schedule. I think we got the favorable one where we got to do media like at 8 a.m. right after breakfast and then go on our way to practice. So uh, we got the better schedule in that regard. And yeah, the, the week itself was fun. It's you know, I don't know the take it all in thing. I'm not, you guys probably know by now, I'm not uh, someone that really <laughs> shines on a moment and tries to, to suck it all up. I usually look back after the fact, but uh, it definitely was a, a fun week, a different week. And obviously the outcome of the game was what made it so special. I remember that it was in the morning because the breakfast room is the room that I accidentally stumbled into in the Chiefs hotel when they tried to revoke my credential and essentially kick me out of Super Bowl week. The, the, the last time and only time you played in the Super Bowl. Yeah, that, that is correct. Um, <laughs> we've, we've told that story before, so our longstanding listeners will know that you almost got kicked out of the Super Bowl 54 uh, shenanigans. But yeah, it, uh, the breakfasts were good. I mean, you could you could have at least gotten some food out of that. I got nothing out of it. All I got was like I, I saw whoever was sitting in that room, like Harrison Butker, whoever it was, that wasn't having to get to their media obligations yet, and I was scolded and sequestered by NFL security. So not having to worry about that because there's no in-person availability. As talking about watching the same film over and over again, how do you try to see it with different eyes? Like how do you try to make it unique and not just glaze over by the 10 millionth time that you've watched it? There's not really that good of a way. Really the only way to do it is to try to like almost trick yourself. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but basically pretend like it's the first time you're presented that information and so you go in it's a blitz meeting and you turn a page you get a fresh page you start taking notes maybe you wrote something down that week that when you referenced the previous notes like you wrote something slightly different down because you got a different nugget of information you know essentially that's what and we've you know talked about this in a previous podcast maybe a couple of weeks ago what does an install look in the off season and talking about installing an offense like f- at five different times throughout an offseason. Well, essentially, it's all the same information. You're just hearing it multiple times. And so maybe you pick up something slightly different this time than the last. When it's all condensed in a two-week period like the Super Bowl, You know, it's a little fresher. And so you do tend to hear the same stuff over and over. But I think the best thing to do is 
to kind of assume that you haven't heard it before, you know, kind of take notes or go through whatever process you go through to take in the information, you know, try to make it as fresh as possible and see if there's anything new from the last time or maybe, you know, that time, the first time you watch a blitz tape, it's like, okay, well, this is the structure. This is what they're doing. I got an understanding of it. But maybe that fourth time you're watching, you kind of know what the play is. You know, oh, this was the play where Bosa stunted inside and then Armstead looped around. And maybe now you can look at like some minute detail that, oh, well, he was lined up like head up on the guard instead of like slightly inside. And normally he's slightly inside. And maybe this four inch difference in alignment is what's doing it. And then like the next play you can see, oh, is it the same alignment? Oh, but it's a different thing or it's the same thing. And just trying to delve deeper and find these little intricacies that sometimes can drive you nuts and sometimes don't lead to anything but occasionally. it almost seems like it might be overload yeah right i mean at, at a certain point like you're you're overthinking and over analyzing things to the point where it might be a problem it might, it might get you down a bad road a little bit well that's correct and also when you're watching that defensive line over and over again like <laughs> so we used to have so you know we've i've been places where either monday or tuesday after you watch the previous week's film um you have a little bit of like a highlight tape of who you're going to face the upcoming week just to, hey, these are the guys you're going to face, you know, start thinking about them. Sometimes it's that Wednesday, the kind of the first true start of the week uh, where the offensive line coach is showing you, hey, these are the guys we're going to face. I just want to give you a little preview. And so sometimes they like to show like, okay, this is Von Miller's spin move. This is where he beat the right tackle, got a sack. This is his ghost move where he dips around the corner, sacks the guy. But it's like, you don't want to see all his best moves and just watch guys get crushed as like your (laughs) introduction for it. You'd rather see like, okay, this is what he's trying to do. And this guy did a good job countering it. And like, this is his spin move, but this guy kind of countered it. So in my career, we've had to tell some O-line coaches and some assistant O-line coaches like, Hey, don't show all the sacks. Like the first thing you show us, don't make it be his highlight reel. And like in Cleveland, one of the years, one of our offense line coaches, he, would like put stars like a four star general or five star general and like three star whatever and he'd show i remember we were playing the texans and he'd show like jj watts 20 best plays where he just like juking guys back during making tackles getting sacks it's like well how can i how can i block this guy like you just showed that he's literally unblockable it's like all right now you gotta go block this guy all week so yeah uh to your point there's definitely like sensory overload overload of, of too much information and also you just don't want to see those guys like beating other players over and over so It has to be the right clips. How much of the game plan is installed before you guys travel? Like, is that pretty much set in the sense of this is what we're going to run, this is why we're going to run it, it, the actual mechanics and the nuts and bolts of the entire thing? For us, it was pretty much, I'm not going to say solidified, but essentially the coaches went through and that first week was, all right, we're going to assume we're playing on Sunday, like get the body clock right, everything's geared up for Sunday, go through the normal install week you do the base game plan the third down stuff red zone short yardage goal line as a normal week you had a full game plan a full um you know like playbook and all the installs and of course as they get you know another four days to kind of look at it with maybe a a fresh set of eyes from their perspective they tweak it a bit but it wasn't like okay we're going to install these 10 runs and then five of them didn't show up and we added 15 more like most of the stuff that we went through that first week uh, was what came up, you know, the following week once we actually got to Miami. So, yeah, they, they tried to make it as uh, complete of a playbook as possible. Obviously, things change. And, you know, especially as you're running stuff, maybe it doesn't look good. And now you have two weeks to run this specific route concept. And 
on the second week you realize like, yeah, this isn't what we love. We prefer this other thing. And you have a little bit more time to flush that stuff out. But um, yeah, but we tried to do it where, you know, as much of the playbook was in and it was familiar. And once we were down there, it was more um, staying locked in and remembering the stuff instead of, you know, complete wholesale, like here's a full new playbook and we got to learn it in a, a week that we don't have as much time to meet and to practice as normal. Did you guys install anything new before that game that you remember? Yeah. I mean, you're always installing like new stuff or little tweaks. We ran uh, a single back uh, power. I mean, technically single back power, but it was from two tight ends. So you could argue that it was kind of normal power, but the fullbacks already pre-aligned. But like in the certain four, I think it was a slot formation too. So in that specific formation, if like the defensive end was in a nine technique, then the tight end could insert inside. And if they were in, cover two then the will would like walk to the slot to cover the receiver and then we wouldn't block him essentially so the tight end would then wrap inside essentially for like the cover two corner and then sometimes it's the safety and an invert look and he's replacing it and i remember kelsey screwed that one up a few times and finally by the end of the (laughs) week we got it uh blocked pretty well but uh because it was it was it, it was difficult for essentially the wing tight end to like know that it's cover two because of the slot on the opposite side of the formation. And then now he's got to block the corner instead of the, you know, Sam linebacker and in a cover three look, the corners in the same spot to him and it looks very similar. So like, I remember that that particular play was a newer wrinkle for us because we like the idea of like basically Blake bell as our wide tight end, like blocking out on these wide nine techniques and taking advantage of the space they created Sure. But then we also had like a similar formation. And once Kelsey motioned, essentially, if you were in like a one by three formation where it's a, say, a tight end to the right, the three receivers to the left, the tight ends attached. Well, the nine tech would kind of come down to a six tech and then he would slant inside. And it was pretty consistent that he'd slant inside. And so remembering, you know, from the offensive line perspective, hey, when we're in this specific one by three formation, we're running these two plays. You know, on the front side, your DN's going to slant inside. On the back side, he's going to slant inside. Like, you need to know what to do. So you're always kind of honing stuff like that and then having the extra week to rep it and to really get guys, you know, like listening to formations and knowing what the formation is. Um, that's what you have the time to do. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. So next question here, Michael Fisher says, we always hear about how professional athletes are creatures of habit, do their best to stick to their routines. How difficult is that for the Super Bowl? Not just because of the magnitude of the game, but because of the mechanics of the game. You have longer time between warm-ups and kickoff. There's a longer halftime. There's more commercial breaks. It's always a little bizarre to me that teams play 19 to 20 games with specific rules, and then it gets thrown out the window when it's time to decide the champion. I think it's a really good question. I'm sure the actual mechanics of the game day are so different. Was that strange? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I will say Coach hit us on that almost every day for a full week to make sure, like, guys, this is going to be very different. You know, we're going to have everything mapped out for you, but this is much different than you're used to. And, like, you're like, okay, we got it, we got it. And he's like, no, like, this is how it's going to be. And part of it, so it really starts pregame's normal. I mean, you take the bus to the stadium, you show up at the normal time. That's pretty normal. Once, and I think there was something we did, like, an anthem and then we did a second anthem or we did a like a memorial song we had some sort of thing kobe had actually just passed like five days before or something so there was a a tribute to kobe as well that we did and it's like we're gonna go do warm-ups like 20 minutes earlier than normal then we're gonna stay on the field we're gonna do a tribute you're gonna go here this song's gonna be sung then we're gonna go back to the locker room and then there's this like you take the field like 16 minutes before kickoff and normally you take the field eight minutes before kickoff and it was like okay so when we get back out there he coach was basically like i don't want any of you like moving around or warming up like sit down on the bench and we'll tell you okay now it's time to warm up because he didn't want you know this much of nervous energy and guys are trying to stay loose but it's like if you're just running up and down the sidelines for 20 minutes and you start wearing yourself out and you have all your emotions kicked up so he was really good about pregame like there's going to be a ton of time. Just relax. Like, trust me on it. It's going to be okay. The in-game timeouts, I mean, it's just it's a little bit longer than normal, so it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And then halftime, to your point, it's like 30 minutes. Normally halftime is 12 minutes. And so we had a pretty regimented where, like, hey, these first five minutes, we'll do this. The next five minutes, we'll do that. And then we'll do a warm-up, and then the coaches will talk. And they kind of broke it down so that it was a bit structured and it wasn't just like, yep, go sit there for 25 minutes and eventually your coaches will come by and talk to you and then you get warmed up. Like, no, there were segments for everything and they made sure we ate calories and, you know, stayed uh, in the the proper energy situation or I don't know how to describe that better. But um, everything was like very regimented and detailed and, you know, coach had been in a couple Super Bowls before and so he definitely understood it better than some others do and, I think he did a really good job preparing it for us. It seems like having a coach that's been having a head coach that's participated in a Super Bowl for is like a legitimate advantage. The way that you're describing this, yeah, and I think that's. I mean, that's one of the things with Brady is I'm sure last year he basically gave Arians like this is the schedule, this is how it's going to go. Yeah, not that I, I don't know off the top of my head if Arians has been in one before, but um, he would have been in one in Pittsburgh in 2010, right? Okay. Yeah, with yeah. that, and so. Either way, Brady's <laughs> been in more than anyone else. So uh, I'm sure he also had a very specific system. And like, this is what we did. This is what worked for us. You know, he had been in, what, nine before then? Or one, six of them. So he had been to a lot. So he probably had a better 
you know, knowledge than most of, yeah, we've tried all these different things. This worked for us. This didn't. I prefer if we do it this way and, and not. So, um, yeah, having guys with that kind of institutional knowledge, like it, it is a thing. Obviously, it didn't really matter for us last year in terms of our knowledge from the year before. But um, <laughs> I'd like to think that the San Francisco year, it uh, led to some positive benefits for us. 2009 for Arians, the 2008 season, which I should have known. So Dusty Evely asked us, which is kind of a little spinoff on this. He knows the concept of halftime adjustments is a bit overblown in season, but does that change with the extended halftime? Do you have more time to kind of go through whatever tweaks you want to make for the second half? So you do have more time. I think to your point, you get to be a little bit too like meddlesome and you start to tinker too much. You know, typically we, we talked about halftime adjustments last week that you're not really making these wholesale changes. Like a defense is going to play. I mean, it was San Francisco's cover three. Like they're only going to play so much man coverage and cover two. It's like, Hey, they're sprinkling that in more than normal, but we also expected it. Or like, you know, certain formations like, Hey, Richard Sherman's not going to play corners over in a man look like they trust him against a tight end in his, his zone on one side. So maybe that's a small adjustment. So you definitely have more time for it. Coaches, if they have too much time, it gets to be a, a bad situation in pretty much all facets of life. So uh, Super Bowl halftimes isn't the best for, for the way their brains work. But the way we had talked about it was, you know, the coaches would come in. They'd kind of give us a synopsis of what the previous half looked like, you know, what we liked, what we didn't like. They'd go back. They'd talk about it a little more. They'd come back out and tell us, like, hey, this is the stuff we're going to do for the next half, which is similar to what you do in a 12-minute scenario. It's just, you know, you have more time to do it. And so the coaches came in, they kind of like talked to us and you can't like talk about the first half and not talk about what's going to come in the second half. So they're like, yeah, we like these plays. We'll probably feature a little bit more of this stuff in the second half. So they came back out for like the second scheduled break and they're like, all right, so what are we doing next half? And I think Coach Heck was like, we, we, already, we already talked about it. I don't know what else to tell them. So it was more just like, That's really you guys funny. are on your own. Because yeah, I mean, you know, we like these runs. We don't like these runs. This stuff works. You guys are doing great. Keep working. Like you don't need a second segment to do that. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure some coaches probably take that a little far and they get, I, I could imagine that McVay is a guy that sits at his desk for all 18 minutes and tries to maximize everything. His, you know, brilliant mind is processing in real time as he's throwing it out onto a, a sheet, like a, a symphony. So for a guy like him, who's got a photographic memory and doesn't forget anything that's ever happened on a football field, you know, you'd like to think maybe it'd be an advantage. So, in terms of that game specifically, was there anything unexpected? Or did the, the stuff that they ran, the overall game plan, the way that they played certain guys, is it mostly what you anticipated heading into the game? Yeah, for sure. And you know, again, that's a, a defensive structure that isn't going to change too, too much. Now, they were doing some really creative stuff with like blitz schemes, and we were trying to figure out, all right, in this look, you know, is Fred Warner going to be a down lineman or is he going to be... Um, you know, an off-ball linebacker or when he gets up, you know, into a, a stand of three technique, like how do you treat him? And then it depends on rotation and stuff. But for the most part, I think, you know, both sides played it pretty normal. There wasn't anything, you know, too wholesale. Like I said, I mean, that structure isn't going to start playing two-man for the majority of the game. Like they are cover three shell. Their cover three tends to play a little bit more like man coverage in certain situations. But they weren't going to, you know, completely shift the the tenor, especially because I mean they were the best defense that year and they had the best front four. Yeah. So it's not like they were going to be like, this is our strength and we need to change it for the Chiefs. And it worked for three and a half quarters, you know. So 
um there, there wasn't anything that was like oh man these guys are playing us in cover four all day and it's a completely different defense and we you know have to go to this next part of the playbook that you know isn't as prepared for it um i think it was pretty much you know good against good and it was what was expected and turned out to be a, a pretty good matchup how relieved were you when they lined up both on the other side for like 95 percent of the plays in that game dude you have no idea that was my biggest stressor the entire two weeks so i had i had an inkling that would happen so he at that time why because he had primarily played over the left tackle for like 10 or 12 weeks in a row to start the season at some point i think maybe d ford got hurt or someone else got hurt and he started to play over the right tackle a little bit more but like the two weeks of the playoffs that they played, he was playing much more over the left tackle. And the only times he was over the right tackle, I'm pretty sure it was like in a specific bear defense they were running where he was like the strong side defensive end in the bear and they wanted like D Ford as a weak side defensive end or, or however that played out. So I had a pretty good inkling that like if they played at full health, if they played their normal defenses, he'd really only be on my side in that bear defense. And I just didn't think they'd play us in bear too much. You know, it's not like we're a big running team or anything. Um, so I had a feeling I probably wouldn't have to see him too much. And like literally the only play he lined up on my side was third and one bear defense. And we ran a speed option to the right and we, we optioned off of him. And so I kind of nailed that. But me being the nervous guy that I am, I worried the whole time <laughs> that they were going to put him over me. But no, if assuming all health and everything else, like, Bosa played over the left tackle all the time. D Ford played over the right side all the time. Uh, Armstead played over the right side. So kind of the way it broke down is in their base defense, quote unquote, like Armstead was a defensive end. And as they'd move towards more pass oriented defenses, Armstead would kick down to three tech. D Ford would come on. He'd rush over the right tackle. And Bosa was just over the left side. And I forget who his backup was, but essentially he'd play the other side. So I had a good sense that like rundowns run situations armstead pass situations d ford and i was uh very thankful that uh mr sala uh complied <laughs> so just that day in general is there a moment from the game that has stuck with you the longest just a play whatever it happens to be that just when you think about that day in game it's the first thing that comes to mind in game I mean, I think Damian pretty much called his shot on the game-winning touchdown run. Like, we got in there, um, we ran the ball. I think we ran power on the first play. It's a pretty good run. And Damian's like, hey, if you guys hold your blocks, like, I'm taking this to the house. <laughs> and uh, next play we did, and I th we ran, like, a, a weak side lead play to the left. Um, Sherm had a pretty good sense of the Bosa-Fisher matchup, like, I mean, it's a four-minute situation. Bosa's super strong. Like, he's going to play the point really aggressively and probably, like, bury too much and potentially lose contain, and I think that's what happened. So, Sherm had a good sense uh, of where to bounce it, where to take that, and where to kind of lead Damien. So, Damien's like, hey, you guys hold your blocks. Like, I'm taking this in. And I think he and Sherm were talking. Sherm's like, dude, I got you. Like, I'll lead the way. And so, he, like, kind of called his shot in the walk-off run in a four-minute situation of a Super Bowl, which is, like, an offense lineman's dream. So... That one, that one was a pretty cool one. Um, there was a play, I think, maybe first quarter, second quarter. Uh, I think Pat ran into the end zone and maybe got hit and, like, fumbled. And he took a shot, but he got up and was like, he doesn't necessarily, like, talk smack, but it was more just, like, firing himself up. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm tough. Like, I forget what he was saying, but it was pretty awesome. He was like, you know, I think they went to a replay and 
the whole like three minutes he was talking to the Niners and they were talking back and stuff. And it was like very competitive, but also like not derogatory or anything. It was kind of like clean trash talk, but in a good way. Um, so that was pretty cool. And that's, I mean, that's why we love him because he's like so competitive and he likes to take hits. He likes to dish it. He likes to, you know, kind of just be a normal guy and not a quarterback that's too protected. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What do you remember about just the aftermath? I mean, what does it feel like? It just I can't even imagine you've worked your entire life to get to this moment. It, every single minute, every single terrible, notorious Andy Reid training camp practice, it, it culminates in this. And like, what is that moment like? So in the moment, it was maybe 80 to 90 percent relief and like 10 to 20 percent excitement. And I remember I remember sitting on the bench in the fourth quarter and kind of looking up and there were 10 minutes left and we were down, I don't know, 10 points or whatever. We just gave the ball back. And I was like, man, this would suck if we don't win. And I didn't think that we weren't going to win or anything, but I just had that moment like we've come really far. This whole process would just be a total waste if we lose. And uh, so it's kind of that relief that like, you didn't do all this for nothing. Like it was worth the extra five or six weeks of the postseason. It was worth all the extra practice in the games. And like you said, kind of everything you've put yourself through for that amount of time. Um, so it was a lot of, a lot of relief. And then, I mean, the excitement of it, I still maintain, I mean, people probably call me crazy. My wife doesn't cause she kind of agrees as well. So the post AFC championship like celebration was better and more fun than the post Super Bowl one. Because post AFC Championship, it's like the excitement of, hey, we're going to the Super Bowl. It's at Arrowhead. Our entire fan base is there. Like, it's yeah. a much more intimate setting. The confetti's falling. Like, there's not a million media members. There's only, you know, 200,000 of them. So it's just less like corporate, more intimate. You're surrounded by your, all your fans. You know, that was the first time we've been to the Super Bowl in forever. So it's like a very special moment for Kansas City as well. So post Super Bowl, like it's a zoo. There's a ton of people pulling you left and right. Somehow every reporter gets down on the field. They're trying to get you for interviews. And you're like, I just want to find my wife. I want to find the podium. I want to find the trophy. <laughs> and like you're standing there and, you know, I like to think the Chiefs maybe had 60 or 65% of the stadium, but you only have 60% of the stadium that's yours. And so the other 40% are bummed out and they're leaving and stuff. So it's not your stadium. It's not a 100% capacity stadium. There's too much media there's too many other people down there it's just not as like intimate of a moment and then the other thing that kind of sucked is every because you have so many other like media obligations and stuff there wasn't one moment that we were all in the locker room together as a team like 
we celebrated obviously on the podium you know there are certain guys who wanted to get to the front and be on camera and be on tv a little bit more than they they deserve so that was annoying trying to like block people out of the way and stuff and like no like you don't play like get out of here um (laughs) but it's really funny if you go back and watch like pretty much i mean any ceremony you can like see people like looking up to the jumbotron like trying to like scooch over to make sure they're in the frame and stuff uh really funny but after after that like People hang out with their family. They hang out with their parents. They go back to the locker room at their own pace. Then there's the media tent, which is off the field. And you get kind of pulled there like, hey, they want to go talk to you. Go to this place. Go to like booth, whatever. And then you go at your own pace. You grab food. You get on the bus. There's not like the whole team wasn't in the locker room. And it wasn't, you know, coach calling us up and talking to us like a normal game, which we had at the AFC Championship game. So the combination of winning an arrowhead being there with the whole stadium everyone cheering for you and then having that moment in the locker room where the whole team is celebrating together after the fact that made that a little bit more special than the super bowl post game now the flip side is the bus after the super bowl going back and the the plane ride yeah the plane ride was amazing but the bus i'm i'm a bus one guy and so uh like coach reads on that one a few of the other offensive guys i think we've got like five buses normally so i'm a bus one guy um I think Pat's on that one, some of the other linemen. And so coach's wife walks on first and then coach comes and is like just kind of monotone and whatever. And then he like flashes us the trophy and like everyone went nuts. And then, you know, we were playing, we are the champions. We're all singing together and stuff. And like th- that, that singular moment, you know, you asked earlier and you couched it with what part of the game sticks out to you the most or do you remember most? Like that moment on the bus, like us all celebrating, singing together, like that's probably the moment that I remember the most from that Super Bowl and that kind of the whole celebration. What is the moment you remember most from the plane ride? Is it the beer luge from the trophy? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I remember, well, again, you cashed it with from the plane ride. As we were driving up to the airport, um, I think the security guys and the guys who were giving us the uh, the police escort, they all kind of stopped and they gave us like a little like siren salute and stuff. I remember Kelsey said something hilarious like, oh, man, I never heard sirens that were a good thing. (laughs) And the whole bus just started dying laughing like all like, you know, Coach Reed's on there. I forget what other coaches like a lot of a lot of the coaches and Kelsey is just like, man, I never heard sirens that were a good thing. And we all just started dying laughing. Um, So that was that was a pretty cool one. Um, he was the MVP of the post game situation, oh, correct? Yeah, I mean, he's the MVP of every situation. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so there was the whole Super Bowl luge thing. I mean, I don't really drink, so that wasn't that like cool or interesting to me. And after enough people did it, it just stopped being cool. And it was like it was cool when Kelsey did it because Kelsey's Kelsey. Um, but then, like, didn't he fall asleep on the plane with like a bottle of champagne in his hand? Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he, he was passed out for a lot of the plane ride, but luckily we were able to <laughs> capture some of the better moments before he, he fell asleep. So, yeah, the, the plane was awesome. I mean, again, for, for people that haven't traveled like that, and this is why traveling normally is annoying on planes specifically, because they want us seated for when the plane takes off. But, like, if someone's standing in the back, someone's standing in the back, like, the plane still takes off. Like no one turns off their phones. You don't put your phones on airplane mode. Like they don't really care. You can do whatever you want. So you go on a normal flight. It's like, make sure you're seated and your seatbelt's on and your phone's in airplane mode and you can't do this and that. And it's like our plane takes off. Like everyone's phones are on. Probably half the people are wearing seatbelts. Like maybe one or two people are standing. Like it's total chaos. And so 
um that's like the cool thing with the plane is like you can just walk around you can do whatever you want and obviously guys are uh celebrating and some you know more than others and it's just uh it's cool one of the times that like playing music on the plane is is awesome and everyone's digging it um yeah it's just it's just a special time because you're all kind of like reminiscing and kind of going back over the game and the cool plays and stuff and it's uh it's one of those like few times that you remember of like Again, this is what guys miss after the fact. It's like that camaraderie that, hey, we accomplished. It's what I miss. Yeah. It's like you accomplish this thing together. You get to talk about it. You get to reminisce, have fun. Um, so that plane ride is you know, part celebration and part you know, kind of the, the talking about it and spitballing. That's what I miss about playing football is singing on the bus <laughs> on the way home after you would win games. Like it doesn't change. Like it doesn't matter where you play, how old you are. Like that is what the celebration looks like if you win a high school football game or the Super Bowl. And there's something so pure about that. Yeah, essentially. I mean, we're again, this is a game where big dudes who play it, but you know, it kind of brings you back towards being a kid and just that youthful energy and exuberance. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about, kind of specific to this game, you know, you've played in the Super Bowl, but you've also played against Aaron Donald before. I mean, in one of the most famous games that we've ever seen in, in, in an NFL situation, what is it like to game plan for him specifically? And if you're the Bengals offensive line or the Bengals coaching staff this week, what is on your mind as it relates to him? Well, game planning for him sucks. Uh, there's really no other way around that because you know we started this talking about, well, don't show a guy's best plays. It's like... <laughs> You can't really watch more than five plays without him making a splash play, so you can't avoid them. Um, and he does it in such like a, I mean, you could say unorthodox, but like he's singular in his skill level combined with his athleticism and his size. Like he's one of one. So he does it in a very like specific way that, that works for him. And, you know, he aligns wide. And so as an offensive tackle, part of the equation is like, hey, make sure you don't fly out of there and give the guard too much space. Make sure you're, you know, constricting that gap and holding space and stuff. And now we've seen that work against tackles. They get too worried about the three tech and now they take bad pass sets. Well, you've got Hall of Famer Von Miller and first rounder Leonard Floyd opposite you. So it's like, okay, do I really want to <laughs> help my guard when he's probably getting center help anyway when I got to go block this monster out here? So there's like that element of, hey, the tackles have to chip in this week. You have to, you know, just make sure you're not hanging your guard out, creating too much space. There are, you know, certain schematic things you can try to do, you know, in terms of he's going to be the three tech, you know, which side is he on? Do you want to run at him? Do you want to run, run away from him? You know, setting formations, shifting, you know, tight ends to try to get advantageous looks where, you know, traditionally maybe he's not the backside three tech, but on this specific play you want him to be so you pre-aligned with the tight end to the right he lines up as a three technique you know tight end motions to the left they don't shift their defensive line you know theoretically you get him <laughs> where you want him that's the thing with him like front side or back side it doesn't really matter <laughs> like he's gonna do his damage <laughs> i think the consensus is that you'd actually prefer to run at him um because on the back side like kind of what jj watt used to do he's just so disruptive and he can get out of a gap and still make the play that's like the thing with him and jj that 
they can freelance do their own thing, but it's so good and they're so athletic that they can get back to the gap they jumped out of and then cause havoc and make the play. So I think ideally you try to set it up where you're running at him and obviously the guard has help. Um, now the problem with that is like he can win so quickly upfield that if the guard is like scared of it, say you're running a run play to the right, he's over the right guard, he's on you know the right shoulder of the right guard, so he's outside of him. Now he can just sprint up and beat you over that right shoulder so fast, and like you're scared of him jumping around, so maybe you don't you know get as far to the right as you need to as the right guard. Well, the second you do, he also beats you to the left. <laughs> and he also beats you so fast that like the center doesn't have a chance to cover that ground to like help you before he does. So it's this like very difficult guessing game of what exactly is my angle and landmark on Aaron Donald. And he can beat you either those ways or he can just run right down the middle of you and shove you six yards deep in the backfield and make the tackle with you. So it's a, a kind of a lose-lose proposition and it's tough to you know, go into a game as a guard and like have a ton of confidence because he beats guys in all three manners. So you don't really know like what the right angle is, what technique to use, what's going to be the best scenario. Um, so ideally the, you know, coordinator is setting that up as best as possible for you. You know, the inside zones, you have help from maybe the right tackle, you know, the outside zones, you've got help from the center, uh, essentially at all times knowing that like someone needs to have extra hands on him, whether it's a tackle. Is that just, like the forehands thing is what people say all the time. Like that is a that's a prominent part of the game plan, no matter like for you guys it was. Well, essentially because so part of it is like there's an intimidation factor that like you don't trust that you can block him because he's so good. Like every guy deals with the stress of like, can I block him? Am I good enough? You know, whatever. As an offensive lineman, you feel better when you know you have help. Like, okay, if I you know, have center help as a right guard again. If I go too far to the right, Donald goes to the left, he goes inside. Well, my center's there, so I don't have to worry about going further. I can be more aggressive, and if he goes inside, I trust that the center's there for me. Whereas if you're one-on-one, now you're like, okay, he can be me in any of these three ways. I don't know what to do. I don't trust myself. I can't throw my hands because he's got the chop move and he beats me instantly. If I don't throw my hands and I'm on my heels, he runs down the middle and he's as strong as anybody at like 275. So you gain confidence knowing you have help and you can use that help if your help's to the right you can use that if your help's to the left you can use that so scheming in help for that guard is a really big thing not just physically but also mentally i think it's actually more mentally than anything just knowing you have the confidence uh, of, a, of another guy there for you so um yeah i mean like he beats double teams he beats single teams having more guys available to block him is definitely beneficial i mean in a realistic sense like Robinson's a good defense alignment, but like he's not a guy that you need to send two guys to when you could send two to Donald. Um, and to get to the, like the game planning thing, some teams and some you know offensive line coaches, some offensive coordinators will say, "All right, just slide to Donald every time. Just make sure that the center's going that way. The center's going to help." Some staffs don't like doing that. That kind of throws off like the blitz rules and the running backs pickup and stuff. And so that's what you know Staley did a good job of. I think Morris is doing a good job this year is you can't just like rush for every time and trust your front four because it gets somewhat predictable in that we can just send the center to Donald's side and we can ensure that we have four hands on him at all times. You know, you have to have enough creative blitzes that force the running back to block a linebacker one-on-one and forces the offensive line to slide away from Donald. You know, we see the three defensive linemen on one side kind of trying to force a one-on-one for the offensive guard. Um, so there are ways for the defensive coordinator to 
take away what the offensive line wants to do in terms of the help. And so that's where it, it kind of gets that cat and mouse of how do we really handle him. In terms of the amount of attention and time spent on him as a defensive player, would you say it's the most of any game plan for any one specific defensive player that you've ever been a part of? Yeah, it is. And it's, again, it's like almost harder to scheme help for a three tech than it is for a defensive end. And we've yeah. Had, yeah. So we've, we've, you know, talked in the past, you can make defensive ends uncomfortable with receivers, with tight ends, with a bunch formation, with a running back, you know, even if he's not chipping, if he's running a route that, hugs the tackles outside pretty tightly like you can scheme all that stuff in there you can make them uncomfortable before the snap you can't really make a three tech uncomfortable before the snap like he's a three tech it's the same five guys in the same alignment every time like he doesn't feel any condensed pressure he doesn't feel like oh this you know 270 pound tight end could just knock me off balance as i take my first step and then again as we're talking like yeah, you can say, all right, in this formation, they're going to line up in this front and with their blitzes, you know, we feel comfortable sending the center that way. But like, you can't always guarantee where the center is going, depending on you know, the, the way your protections work. So with, you know, edge guys, you can line up and say, we're going to have these two guys outside. They're going to chip them regardless of anything because it's built into the route. It's built into the protection. You can't always guarantee the center sliding to Donald unless you just say, screw it, we're going to slide his way. Running back's got the other side of the field. And if they bring two guys to the running back side, we got to have a hot. Like, that's tough to do. That breaks up essentially what you've been working on all year in terms of how to block guys. So um, it is more difficult to scheme for a three-tech. And as we talked about, run run game, front side, back side, it doesn't matter. He's equally as good. You know, pass game, he's obviously dominant. So you can't... It's an uh, argument for why he's so valuable is that he affects the game in every single way and it's actually harder to defend against him than it is... Von Miller in his prime or Khalil Mack in his prime. And it's hard to be that level of disruptor as a three technique, which is why most of the time those guys aren't as valuable as an Aaron Donald would be. But because he is that singular force, it almost makes him more valuable than any edge rusher could be. Right. And he's closer to the ball. So the, yeah. the pressure he gets, like it happens quicker. And now I know there's some studies about edge pressure still kind of gets to the quarterback quicker, even though it's not like a straight line, whatever. But like the way Donald wins and his quickness and his speed and his ability to slip guys, like he gets into the backfield and he's in the A or B gap. He's clogging up the middle. He's making things uncomfortable for the quarterback. You know, quarterbacks don't like feeling pressure up the middle. They don't like feeling like guys are in their face. Um, and he does that. And so run game, the running back is taking the handoff and he already feels Donald is two yards upfield. Like those are uncomfortable things. And so... He's disruptive in a position that's harder to scheme help towards, and he's closer to the ball. Like those are all things that make it a lot more difficult. And as you're saying, like it makes him kind of the hardest guy to game plan against in terms of a defense alignment for sure. Well, good luck to the Bengals this weekend. <laughs> all right. That's all we got. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I appreciate you taking the time to do this all year. I know the people enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed it. Guys, game is tomorrow. Enjoy the game. Thank you very much for listening. As always, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Please subscribe to The Athletic. We have so much stuff on The Athletic right now from this week. You can read everything Jordan Rodriguez has written, everything that Paul Diener Jr. and Jay Morrison have written on the Bengals. Please go check all of that out. We will be back on Monday morning. We're not going to do a live stream on Sunday night after the game just because it's going to be 2 a.m. <laughs> Eastern time by the time we get 
back to the hotel from the stadium, all of that kind of stuff. But me and Nate will be recapping the game. It will be available to you guys on Monday. So please come back and check that out. For now, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you later. This was The Athletic Football Show.